I was the last man standing. I am the man, and the man feels no pressure. You are facing a fuel-injected suicide machine. Fear from the man that rules the world. I am the man. When I walk, the ground shakes. I am the master. And welcome to the very first episode of Vicious Circle. You get the privilege of sitting here and listening to some incredible stories from Sid Udi. Sid, how are you today? Man, I'm doing good, Rob. Thanks for you, uh, two of you guys coming down to do this. Oh, this, is, this has been a pleasure and an honor. Um, I know I personally grew up watching a lot of the stuff you did. So when I was approached about doing it, it's like, let me think. Yes, I definitely want to be in a room with Sid. And uh, the way you want to do this is definitely the way that, that what drew me here. Because, you, like I said, you want to talk about you and facts and, you know, get away from the rumors and the innuendos and, you know. Right. That's why we, I, we first started call <clears throat> maybe call it uh, ribbing on the square. That's an old wrestling term. Meaning um, sometimes you're joking like you can say that look, someone's they're overweight. You're not trying to be real mean about it. Go, hey, man, you're, you're sort of fat. But meaning, yeah, you are fat. But uh, somebody else was using that, and, and then Barry Norman, uh, a good friend of mine, he came up with this vicious circle, and I think it's going to be a whole lot better uh, name for the podcast. Oh, absolutely. Well, let's just jump right into it, because like I said, we're here to discover Sid Udi, too. And we'll start with that. Like, where were you born? Well, believe it or not, I was born in Moses Lake, Washington, up in Washington State. My father was in the Air Force. And uh, I was born on an Air Force base. Really? Yeah, but wasn't there for very long. And um, moved right here to where you guys pulled down to this street. There's, I told you this used to be a no river town. The slough behind my house back here used to be the Mississippi River before the earthquake. And Marion was a little river town. So that building, we'll pass it on the way out, it used to be a real popular swinging spot for this town when the river boats would come in. And believe it or not, that's where I lived as a... You know, three or four years old, uh, I remember living there with my mom and dad, uh, going over those same railroad tracks, trying to beat the train. You know, <laughs> I mean, sitting in my dad's lap. That's how long I lived here. And those are some crazy tracks to come over. Yeah, those are some crazy tracks. <laughs> so, so you've never really ventured from this spot, like other than obviously to work. Right. Uh, Rob, right before I moved, you know, uh, where we're at right now is just literally two left turns to where I was, you know, at three years old, uh, I worked out about 45 minutes here from here at a place called Twist, Arkansas. It was uh, a farm. And right there, which we're going to maybe get a chance to ride through today, is just one county over for where my grandfather and great-grandfather share crop themselves. So I'm within 15, 20 minutes of my whole life right here. Wow. Now, has that helped keep you the person you are? Well, when people ask me a lot of times, they ask me this quite a bit, actually, They'll say, you know, meeting me or talking to me or something like that. They go, man, you really sound like someone who's really kept their feet on the ground. How did you keep your feet on the ground all the stuff you've been through and all the things you've done? I said, man, it's pretty easy, you know, having a um, great aunt, great grandfather, uh, people like that in your life who I've told you a little bit about my aunt who <clears throat> started the first AIDS clinic in Florida. She came from this 
there's a little dirt road just right up again. There's a picture of her over there in an old shack right there in black and white. And when they say, hey, mom, what are we going to do? Go outside and play. And they go, what, dirt? You know, that's all they had. <laughs> but she, uh, you know, become a nurse practitioner and started that clinic down in Melbourne, Florida, Florida called Comprehensive Healthcare. And it's still going today. They added just another wing to it just a year or so ago. And it's called the Joyce Good Center. So a lot of things happen from these dirt roads. And me and her are two people that came off that dirt road and did something with ourselves. And then right above that, believe it or not, is where Johnny Cash is from. Seriously? Yeah, and that's why I wore all black and most, you know, most of the time in my wrestling career because the connection I had with Johnny Cash living you know, right here by us as well. The man in black. That's yeah. right. Nice. So then what was it like growing up around this area? Like We know you played with dirt. <clears throat> well, believe it or not... Um, for the most part of my childhood, I lived up in West Memphis. And uh, me and a friend of mine, for the most part, a couple of the guys would you know come along. But most of the times, it was me and a friend of mine named Mitchell. We'd wake up in the morning on Saturday and Sunday morning, and I don't care, rain, snow, whatever. We'd leave our house right there in West Memphis, and we'd walk over the Interstate 40 and 55. Of course, is the busiest junction in the country. Go over by the dog track. There's a railroad track back there. And that rail track would get you all the way to the Mississippi River. And we would hunt or fish our way all the way to the Mississippi River and back home every Saturday and Sunday. Nice. That's a, that's a hike, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And every once in a while, I think twice maybe, there was a place there. You know, this is also the truck stop capital of the world. It had a smoker's board there. And I think back there it was like $2 all you could eat. And we'd go outside, set our shotguns on on the front door out there and go and go in and eat for two whole hours sometimes. <laughs> That'd be crazy. Yeah. That's, now, with these friends that you had, like, do you still speak to some like, some of the friends you had growing up? You know, I, I uh, Mitchell was the friend. I, you know, I really called my best friend growing up. Uh, we've just lost contact really just in the last few years. Uh, when people get older, uh, I've went by a few times. He works actually seven days a week, uh, twelve hour days. He's worked that his whole life and. Um, that swing shift from seven at night to seven in the morning, and oh. so it's hard to get in contact him. But now, um, and then I lost my really my best friend uh, Byron Green uh, a few years back. Oh no! Yeah, so sorry about that. Yeah, because and you said he has that work ethic too. So it's like this area just breeds that. Right. Exactly. That is nice. Um, well, around here, so you you stayed in this area. So did you go to school here as well? Like. Well, same thing. Like I said, I, I, most of the part I lived up. This is Marion, where we're at now. West Memphis is just, a, you know, we're a suburb of West Memphis, so that's where I went to school for the most part. Yeah, the yeah. public school. Yeah. Which public school did you go to? I went to uh, Weaver Elementary. That's right. I was really throwing distance from that, and then went to East Junior High, which was just short walk, and then, um, you know, West Memphis High School. Yes. And uh, those schools, I know we even noticed driving through the town, like we passed five baseball fields all within stone's throw. So is this a very sports-driven community? Yeah, you know, this is um, – all these little towns, especially around from here, you'll be surprised like on a Friday night, just even a girls' basketball league, that people really show up to these things because that's all they had to do on you know Friday nights or whatever the games are. Usually the football games are on Friday nights as well. And I think junior highs on Thursdays once in a while, but uh, no, it's a you know everybody around here plays sports. But now I got a funny sports story about my youngest son, 
And my oldest son was a really sports fanatic. Um, Gunner was about, uh, I don't know, six, seven years old. And, you know, this is a small little town. Always had that big band up there. Sign-ups for NYSA baseball. And I'm only in town once in a while, so we're riding through. And he says, hey, Dad, let's pull into there. And I go, I think your mother's already signed you up. He goes, I know. He says, we're fixing to unsign me. (laughs) (laughs) That's a thing. Yeah. (laughs) I got to get unsigned. I got to get unsigned. I said, no, not today, boy. (laughs) So then in in high school, what kind of student were you? Believe it or not, I was a pretty good student. Uh, I was one of those, uh, really as a kid, I was really quiet, laid back. Uh, shy, things like that. Now, a little bit of a prankster. Like, if I was easily talked into stuff for like one of our, I don't know how I learned this, where I came up with this. Well, we used to take a newspaper and wrap it up with uh, gray tape and then pop out behind a bush and just whack a car with it. <laughs> it sounded like the whole fender was coming off. And this, we loved the thrill of running for our lives. And, uh, we accidentally one time hit a cop car, didn't realize it. But we always had a place to run, like a bean field or something like that. But just the thrill of running for your life was something we thrived to do, you know. Oh, my God, that's hilarious. Then you go through, we went through our Bruce Lee phase where, you know, we're karate chopping every fence in the neighborhood. Or, <laughs> you know, trying to see ourselves over, you know. This was the whole deal about karate. We all took it as kids. It was, uh, you know... To, like Bruce Lee, they always saw themselves doing it before. You know, like Kung Fu. Yeah. <clears throat> Real quick about Kung Fu, it's always weird. Right before he beat up somebody, he'd go into one of these memory things, and when he'd come out of it, the guy's still standing there. You know, beat dude up or run. <laughs> you know, when dude comes out of this memory, he's going to beat you up, you know? <laughs> exactly. But uh, so but we did that. We'd do, uh, see ourselves jumping the fence and make ourselves believe we could do it and you know, finally get the nerve to do it. But, you know, we did the old Kung Fu deal, the whole thing. That is awesome. So you're, you're considered the prankster. Of- yeah, we were, man. I was too easy. See, take a stick and hit that door. Okay, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know. Matter of fact, Barry Norman got me on one recently. He calls me and he says, hey, because he's looking for a job. He, sell, he sells his theater, and he's uh, got this horrible attitude about online application deals. And so you just, anyway, any, I won't go into it. So he calls me and goes, see, the rental trap has got this uh, uh, contest of, and you're a good cook. Was, if, if you were sending a, a picture of yourself cooking with a rental wrap on the grill, that if you win, it's $5,000 a week for two weeks. And uh, all expenses paid just to, you know, do rib contest, eating contest. I went, sure. And he goes, and you get to take someone with you. goes for him. <laughs> so I said, I go out and I spend about $200 on ribs I don't eat. You know, I don't eat ribs and, and all this cooking stuff. And then I was Working around here the other day thinking about ribbing someone, I went, hold on a second, that was a rib. <laughs> you know, Barry wanted that free vacation for two weeks. That's what it was. That was well thought out on his part. Yeah, it was. I'll get him back. <laughs> yeah. So I know you were very sports-centered in, uh, in, in school and stuff, but did you do any other curricular activities? Really, that was it. I, I had a real interest for uh, music, and um, um, I had a stepfather one time. His name was Travis, and his whole family played a musical instrument and they wrote music sent to Nashville all the time with that was my first introduction I learned how to play a guitar a little bit and drums and we were writing music as kids sent it to Nashville trying to get the songs you know picked up or something but um I, I took um back I remember one year that you were forced to take music every other six weeks or nine weeks I guess to you know other than PE and um I wanted to play drums but to play drums you already had to have like uh, some background in um, 
you know, piano or something. To, and so I didn't have that. So uh, the, I just spent that nine weeks, you know, listening to music. You had to have a background in piano? Yeah. Yeah, something See, weird like that to play drums. Okay. I'm a drummer. You don't need any experience. You well, know I, how think to hit it, a well stick. I think what it is, everybody wanted to be the drummer. They just find reasons to find you something else to do. So I played the sax a little bit and it didn't pick up on it very well. Okay. Well, I guess that's where the love of music comes from then. That's, yeah, it is. Uh, of course, you've seen my stereo equipment. Yes. I've got one stereo in here I've had since I was 17. But uh, no, I love music, man. That's what I. If it could have been anything else, that's what I'd love to have been doing with some, you know, a musician. Really? Yeah. What would your uh, area of expertise be? What would be what the music is today? Retro, um, like Lucinda Williams, um, you know, Jason Isabel. Um, what's this, it's not country; it's alternative country. And even Robert Plant has got two great groups right now. One's called the Band of Joy. It's a country group where they've taken some Led Zeppelin. And made it country, and he's got another one called the Spaceshippers, where they actually took a Ralph Stanley song, who's the you know Godfather of bluegrass, called Little Maggie. Later on, I'll let you listen to it, and did a Led Zeppelin version of it. Oh no way! And, uh, yeah, it was really cool. You know, Robert Plant's one of the coolest guys in the world. So he's on Austin City Limits, talking about the song, and he goes, he goes, yeah, we got a song here, something like something like 1913. Everybody started laughing. He goes, I'm serious. <laughs> Oh, hold on a second. We'll just play it. You know, it's just, I think it's Ralph Stanley or something like that. You know, it doesn't care who it is. You know, and then goes to this. But that new group, Spaceship, he's, that's retro. And retro, a lot of people don't realize this. To my opinion, retro is past, present, and future. Yeah. You know what I mean? So think about this. You see my Bronco. So I'm going down the road in my Bronco, and I'm listening to the Spaceshippers, listening to Ralph Stanley song. That's double retro. Exactly. Isn't that cool? Yes. Yeah, that Bronco. Wow. Yeah, that's, a, that's a monster. We're, we're going to jump here just a little bit because i got to get into that. That is a, an incredible hobby. What got you into that? Is, or has that just been a love all your life? Well, <clears throat> there were two things I wanted. You know, either or was a 69 Camaro or that 71 Bronco. And I, I went with the Bronco. A very good choice. Yes. That's when uh, you said you were going to come and meet us. I was looking for that Bronco. Uh, yeah. Uh, now, doing all these uh, sorry, extracurricular activities... When did you start getting actually into the workforce and, and trying to balance that? You know, doing your school stuff where you're, you're doing the music and all that, but we know the work ethic you have. So well, when- this is what happened for me really young, guys. You know, uh, honestly, uh, we're going write, I mean, Barry writing a book. You know, I had a pretty tough life as a kid, and, I mean, money was not there. Food wasn't there. Matter of fact, those hunting trips, we took those hunting trips really to try to eat something, and this is no... This is a true story. I remember killing a single dove one time and bringing it home, cleaning it, and cooking it and eating it. Because uh, I mean, that's what we were really hungry. So uh, uh, back when me and Mitchell, during the summer, we went hunting and fishing, we had mow yards for a little bit of money. And I remember one time getting like 40 cents or whatever I had. And at that time, you could buy a round steak. And this is the first time I ever had red meat really uh, that I can remember I went and bought it myself my mother I don't know where she's at and so I remember cooking in front of my sisters and and they asked me for something I said no and I feel bad about that now but at the time I I, mean I I'm not giving my only piece of red meat you a bite of that you know yes so that's um so what I ended up doing man is I just started working Um, my grandmother actually bought me a lawnmower one summer but the first year I had to pretty much work just to pay her back but then after that, I got to make a little money. But 
man, just started working and got lucky for myself. I consider it lucky. Uh, I was mowing this guy's yard, ended up being this big farmer, and um, then started mowing out there at their shop and then doing a bush hog mowing. And then next thing you know, a few years later, I'm uh, managing, you know, 5,000 acres for him. Oh. So, yeah, so I quit school really young and started work. Um, um, And that was just by choice. I mean, I just, um, it made sense. Well, yeah, and like I say, with your life, you're in it, so you know. Right. Okay. So with that work ethic, then, I guess I can see where that kind of brought you into to wrestling. But did you ever watch it when you were growing up? Never watched wrestling. Maybe once or twice. Uh, one time, I remember, I was uh, out doing some rabbit hunting in Mariana with a friend named Paul Hamblin. I, I don't know why I can remember that name. But his grandparents didn't have uh, running water or electricity. They had electricity, but it was, I guess, a generator and you know, no heat. It was all wood stove. And I remember they shut everything down at, on Saturdays at 11 o'clock to watch wrestling. Even that we couldn't use it, the the dogs, you know, we had to all sit there and watch wrestling. That's the one time I remember watching it, and I do remember the episode too. There was a, a wrestler named Jackie Fargo, and he was badly getting beat up and badly bleeding. And I didn't know who he was, but I felt, man, if I was there, I would have had to jump in and help this guy. And later on, realized that's what they call heat, and that's yep. what made you want to buy a ticket. Yeah. And so I really saw what the people saw in that. So, but but watching that, there was no desire at that point saying, I got to do that. No, honestly, not at all. You know, at that point, I'm just still, you know, junior high probably. And even when I got older, I never thought of it because now I'm farming and, you know, I've bought myself a new car, got a house. You know, actually, you know, that, that's part of farming. They don't pay you well, so you get a house for living there, you know. But so, I mean, I had it too good. I wasn't thinking about nothing but doing what I was doing at the time. Oh, yeah. Okay. I can see that. Yeah. Because you've had nothing, now you've got all this stuff, and it's just from doing this job. Why yeah. would you change? Right. Now, guys, you got to realize, too, on that farm how I started. I didn't start there. I started digging, you know, putting rice, rice furrows in, and that's digging, shoveling from morning till dark and doing things like that all the time. Then when we got to harvest time, literally drive a combine for 24 hours, take a three-hour nap, and come right back out for 24 hours and do that till the harvest is done. Now, I didn't have to, but I wanted to because you weren't making three fifty an hour or three twenty five an hour. You weren't getting time and a half, so the only way I could make money was just work tons of hours. You need more hours. So I, that's what I did, you know. So I got to ask then, because my next question was how you met your wife, but it doesn't sound like you had time to breathe, let alone do anything else. Well, I'll tell you, I met my wife. I was just getting out of farming. Farming across the whole country really taking a turn for the bad. And what was happening, some of these people, like the guys I worked for, were 50,000, 80,000-acre farmers. But when you have to borrow on that once and then borrow on it twice, then you start, like, now you start owing on it. And before they started owing, they decided to sell out. So okay. everybody's selling out. And so I was thinking about, you know, getting another job. And I actually picked up a job doing some construction when I first met my wife, Sabrina. And then um, she was pregnant, and then the USFL Football League came through Memphis. And I walked on to the open tryout and made it to the last cut. And I see on your questionnaire, you ask about how I met Lanny Poffo and Randy Savage, and that's where I met him was in, in, the, in the gym in Memphis at that particular time. Getting ready for that. Yeah. Oh, wow. So it was very shortly after you met your wife that you actually changed careers. Yeah, it was. Me and my wife met. 
I was, like I said, doing construction, and the football thing came through, and she'd go out there with me and time my 40s and things like that, getting ready for doing all that, and then got cut, the last cut from Memphis Showboat. So they said, you just didn't have any experience. You know, you didn't go to college, and you needed that type of experience. And then um, so what I was going to do is going to go to Arkansas State and do a walk-on for a scholarship for a couple, couple years and then try to get to the NFL. Well, strange as it happens, this guy comes up to me. I can't remember his name. I met him at a Friday's and said he was a promoter for a guy named Eddie Bond, who Eddie Bond was a local uh, country music guy. Had his own little TV sta- uh, show and stuff like that. Not anything big like Johnny Cash. And um, said, hey, you ever thought about wrestling? And I said, not really. He said, well, I knew a guy. So he took me to the Coliseum. We met this guy named Guy Coffee, who ended up just being like a helper to the territory. And uh, just so happens, Randy Savage and them saw me at the Coliseum that night, had seen me in the gym previously, and came up to me and said, man, if you're thinking about wrestling, get rid of, get away from that guy because that guy's just trouble. I mean, he's just trying to take your money. The, the wrestlers really don't have promoters, you know what I mean, or agents. And so they said, get rid of him. We'll introduce you to someone. And they introduced me to Tojo Yamamoto, and that's how I got into wrestling. So my wife was pregnant, driving me to Nashville on Sunday mornings at 3.30 in the morning, get me there at 7, and then I'd drive on the way back. Really? Yeah. So how did she feel about that? Because obviously you met her before the wrestling. This is the thing is, you know, I remember this. Um, her father is really one of the greatest human beings in the world. He got me a job working a, a, a route with Golden Flake, which is a pretty good job back then. I'm going to say probably thirty, thirty-five thousand. 35000 That was a, you know, a steady deal. You got a kid on the way. And I overheard him tell her one night because we were living with him. You need to tell him to get rid of this wrestling dream and get something that's really real. And because um, I didn't, I, I mean, they didn't really know me either at the time. So know how dedicated I could, you know, dedicate myself. So, but I remember that. But <clears throat> she had to stand up for me for that. You know, they didn't want me to do that. So she stood up for me and really su- supported me through that. And that's what I tell people. You know, but um, no one has got up at three thirty in the morning more times she has and made. You know, a half a dozen egg whites, oatmeal, and a, get my fruit ready. And then have my bag packed. I mean, she did that for, good Lord, 25 years or so. Yeah, because this was, like, we were talking mid-80s. Yeah. So it's not like wrestling was on the grand stage, as they say no, now. No, 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 no. I know, like I said, when we watched it, we were huddled around that little black and white TV, just moving yeah. the antennas, trying to find it. Right. So this is, it's so interesting that she fought for you to pursue this. Well, you know, the first territory was Continental, and that put me away from her and my son for almost a year. I think I saw him once or twice. You know, but again, you know, I've said this before, <clears throat> being in the right place, right time, and find her, you know, as the right, find the right person to, you know, support you because this is a tough business. And if, uh, there have been so many people through five or six marriages in this business, and for me to stick stick with the same woman and you know have the same success is. And, Everybody has to have a good support system, and I definitely had the best. She was a great mother, a great wife, um, great friend, so I couldn't have done any better. That is awesome. And she's bigger than me, too. Yeah. I'm scared. <laughs> she's built like a safe. No, I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> but she's very beautiful. Well, on that note, maybe we'll wrap up our first episode here, because that's the perfect, perfect ending point. You got your wife. You're now meeting Randy and Lanny, and uh, you're ready to jump into this new career. 
So what we'll do is we will try and find someone to uh, ask you a question because we want to try and get more questions from people, and we'll bring that on the air. Okay, great. My time is yours. Okay, let's actually see what our next question is. Hey, guys, how are you? My, my question for Sid is, what's your views on the current product? I, I, like, I know you've seen the transition of the business right from independent territories into kind of the corporate to what it is now with WWE kind of has a little bit of a stranglehold on it. You know, there's still some promotions out there doing okay, but just wondering what your, your idea was on the current product, the performance center and training and things like that. Well, there's a million things going on right now, but for me, to keep it simple and and as short as we could right now is this. Back when it was hot and everything was popular, uh, there was, first of all, there was a lot more talent to pull from, all right? Now that's one of their problems. They don't have a lot of talent. The talent they have is well-skilled. They've got good mic skills. Their their wrestling ability is all great, stuff like that. But the deal is they've never been anywhere before the WWE and say really got over so they don't know what they're doing as far as getting over. The other thing is this, as comical as this sounds, I saw an episode on South Park about three years ago, maybe four years ago, and I think it was a rerun. And it was uh, mocking the WWF. And it was saying how, you know, how they were actually talking about the storylines. Now, this again was like three or four years ago. And one of the storylines was Cartman. And Cartman was playing a part of a 19-year-old's Vietnamese prostitute that had 15 abortions. Now, that was, you know, they, of course, this is, you know, South Park, and they're really going over top. And I thought, wow, this is crazy. And, of course, Vince shows up to the show, and he actually hires someone that like, more like Bob Backlund that was an old-time wrestler. And that's what Vince would have done. That's what Vince did do, or his dad did hire Bob Backlund as a champ. But this is what scares me. Today, it's almost like South Park. The episode with the kids were coming up, and I'm going to give you the Vietnamese prostitute deal with Cartman, and the episode with that girl Paige, that who I've never, you know, I don't know anybody on the internet. Somehow, somehow this got directed to my phone. Was that episode of her having sex with a guy in the locker room where wrestling was going on, and then having sex with another guy filming it, and then you know using the the vibrator thing and every orifice of her body, and then just getting released all over the air. So there's your 17-year-old Vietnamese with prostitute or uh, with abortions. It's not that, but it's so, uh, it's, it's maybe worse. You know, here it is, a lady having sex on the toilet in a wrestling venue where wrestling's going on. So that's what we're looking at, guys. And if that's your product, there's your answer. It's not much of one. Very, very true. Okay. And there's a second part. So uh, part of the current product, WWE has like a performance center where, where they, they train, uh, they're, they're training the wrestlers now. And I've, I've heard or, or heard about uh, a lot of stars from the past will make appearances at the performance center, maybe just to check in with the kids and, you know, give them some advice, maybe not so much on wrestling holds, but you know, the psychology and the telling of the stories and things like that. Have you ever been approached or would be interested in doing something like that? No, they, they have approached me. Uh, it's funny. They've approached me, approached me several times. And one of the people, believe it or not, it wasn't so much in, the, in their camp, but they wanted me to come and teach 
Ray Wyatt how to get over, and uh, and actually offered me a, a part in the gig of maybe even being like the grandfather of the Wyatts. Uh, that never materialized because the guy that offered me that got fired, and the guy that took his place. We were corresponding through my attorney Scott Kirkpatrick wasn't in a position to offer the same thing. But they'd offer me things like that. And this is the thing is, we've already, I've already said this. Me and Barry put our name in as a team for the writing crew there. And that's where I can help them. Uh, meaning is this. You can only do so much in one of those schools. You have to be in front of a live audience to teach somebody what they're doing right and what they're doing wrong. And what I can do, and I don't think there's a lot of people out there can do this. I can take your hand like Eddie Gilbert took mine. And I can walk you to success. If you've got what it takes to get there. And I can give you what I learned, but I can only do it in front of a crowd. I can't do it in some empty building. So, um, again, we got our name in the pool. How far it goes, I don't know. But, again, um, that's sort of the answer. Okay. Thanks, eh? Thanks a lot, Pete. Awesome. All right, Sid. Thank you so much. Thank you guys, too. Can't wait to get together again. All right. been listening to the vicious circle podcast your host sid udi co-host j robert bellamy additional research by pete marsh the vicious circle podcast was produced by two cousin road trip media a division of jx3 media productions the intro music omega amigo was by the shaman all rights to the podcast are held by sid udi